episode of Thick and Thin Hoops, where ball is always life. I'm your host, Karthik, here with my co-host, Nithin. What's good, Nithin? What's going on? We are kicking off our fifth season uh, doing a basketball podcast. So, firstly, congrats to both of us uh, on making it to this milestone. Um, It's pretty impressive. Another distinction that we happen to have, uh, I don't know if you're aware, we are the only basketball podcast in the entire country that did not cover, uh, you know, major <laughs> transactions in the sport of basketball. So we're just trying to, you know, zig when everyone else is zagging. You know, I wanted to get you on the mic. I was hoping to even do something solo, but you couldn't be found. You were completely uh, untraceable, unreachable, gallivanting through Western Europe. Um, but, but are you feeling recharged and ready to go? I'm feeling good, man. I'm ready. But it's why is it that every time I leave the country is when major NBA news has to happen? This happened last year, too. I was gone during the playoffs, I think. When I was uh, yeah. Italy. <laughs> and and uh, during like, uh, I forgot what game seven, but always seems maybe, to happen only when I'm gone. Maybe you should work a little harder and not leave GDP creation up to the rest of us, because that's what we're doing back over here stateside. I know, <laughs> but, but I do, I feel great, man. It feels good to be back. I'm ready for season five. You know what? I, I just realized that we're actually, the podcast is as old as LeBron's tenure on the Lakers, right? Cause yeah. we started in 2019. And that summer was probably the biggest summer ever from a free agency standpoint, right? Because you had LeBron, you had Durant. No, no, no. LeBron came the year before. He oh, he came, came the year before. Year yeah, long. no, but yeah. to your point, we had Anthony Davis, to the Lakers. We had Kawhi and PG to the Clippers. We had Kyrie and Kevin Durant to the Nets. And uh, yeah, that was a massive summer. So we kicked it off with the USA basketball finishing seventh in the uh, FIBA World Cup. And of course, we get USA basketball finishing fourth, again, medalist in this FIBA World Cup. So that's that's the uh, benchmarks of our podcast. Yeah, yeah, that's actually true. So it was a year after LeBron joined. But anyways, I was just going to say, you know how it's crazy when you think about LeBron being on the Lakers as its longest, I think it's his longest stint since his first Cleveland stint? Yeah. I'm like, damn, we've been going out of that long too. So Yeah, because it was 7 four, four, five, right? Yep. No, seven, four, four, six. Six, six. yeah. This is We're his sixth season in league. Wow. Yeah, so... It is nuts because by the time he joined him, he was at the tail end of his career and he's still a top 10 to 15 player in the league, if not higher. I know you might have him higher on that list. He's still kind of the best player on a team that could make noise and was in the Western Conference Finals. So it's going to be really interesting to watch that team. I know we're going to get into a lot of different uh, elements of this over the next couple of weeks, but it'll be really interesting to watch because everyone was blowing smoke up the Lakers ass for their offseason. They made all the right moves. They got guys on the perfect contracts. They brought everyone back. But at the same time, it still goes as LeBron and AD go. Um, and really, you need both. It's not even like one can carry the mantle for long stretches. So fascinated to see kind of just what that health, how that health risk plays out. Yeah, it's uh, this season is going to be interesting in a lot of ways. I think we've got a lot of teams. You talk about some of those teams – in 2019 2018 the clippers the lakers who are still in it and then you've got a lot of movers and shakers recently as i know we're going to get into with boston milwaukee shaking things up dallas even though those last year um this actually i'm actually more excited for this season than i've been for any season in, in recent history and i know i probably say that every year but yeah 
this fair. one feels the most wide open in a lot of ways. It's it's unclear. Um, certainly, in, certainly in the West and the East, it feels like power is starting to consolidate a little bit in the West. And it's interesting. I don't want to step on the over under pod that we're going to do in a couple of weeks. Uh, and we should preview. We're going to do that live in Chicago, Illinois. Uh, you're gonna come. You're gonna come to the Windy City. Come see me, and we're gonna actually get a chance to finally record our first ever Thick and Thin episode live. And we figured which better one to do than the over unders. However, we're doing in the that, United Center live yeah, audience. Right. Yeah, Zach Levine, Demar Derozan will be guest guest appearances. So you better take the over on the Bulls. Um, no, so I was just peeking ahead at kind of what the numbers were for some of these teams because I kind of had no idea in the West. But the number the number of teams between like forty one ish and like forty seven is just bonkers, right? So you're gonna almost have to flip a coin to figure out like, okay, do you like the over on OKC, the under on Memphis, over on Sacramento, under on Dallas, you know, over on Minnesota, under on the Clippers? Like, it's almost like pair trading, right? Like, if you take one over, you gotta take the other under, yeah. or you just say, fuck it, I'm gonna miss half of these. Let me just, you know say they're all over and, and go that route. So it's going to be really fun to watch as the season progresses. Every team has a convincing argument for why you'd hit the over at all those numbers. I, I took a peek at it as well. And it's, man, it's going to be really hard. Yeah. Um, but it's a math problem, like you said. For every over, you got to find some way to get those wins under as well. Yep, yep, yep. All right, let's start with uh, the Damian Lillard trade and then dovetail that into the Drew Holiday trade because they were kind of, um, well, they're certainly, you know, days apart and a direct result of one another. So we had a lot of consternation all offseason from Dame, who after uh, 12 years, I think, officially of, of the most loyal person in the NBA, decided he needed greener pastures and just went completely rogue, right? So he went from being super loyal to like, get me out and get me to Miami. Nothing else. It reminded me up until that point of the Kevin Garnett and Minnesota situation where they everyone was begging for him to leave. He was there for 12 years. They had won one playoff series that entire time he was there. And he finally left to go to a contender in Boston. The rest is history. He won the title that first year. Dame went a little bit more aggressive as, as you know, the norm in today's NBA. Um, asked specifically for Miami all summer. You know, it sounded like they weren't talking. It almost sounded like some of it was out of spite, right? Like, just we don't want to engage. We don't want the, you know, players to call the shots. Like, we, we got to do what's best for us. Passed on the Miami offer. They accepted an offer to Milwaukee, who interestingly was dealing with their own situation with Giannis's comments just days before about how he may not stay long term. They hit the alarm bell, traded Drew Holiday, kind of heart and soul of their 2021 championship team, uh, traded a bunch of uh, role players, Grayson Allen and some other folks, to a three-way trade, right? So Nurkic and some of Portland's guys went to Phoenix. Grayson Allen went over there. Drew went to Portland, and um, they got a bunch of picks. Uh, Portland got a bunch of picks, and, of course, Dame went to Milwaukee. So let's start there. When you heard of that first deal, what was your thinking? Um, set aside Drew to Boston for a second. What was your thinking about that type of move and just Milwaukee organizationally where they are and then also stylistically on the court? Before I get to the basketball piece, I was really happy with this from a big picture standpoint because it did two things. One, the whole Dame saga shatters this idea about loyalty and that you know, players are going to put the screws on the franchise when they want to, when they need to. They're not going to do many favors. And 
teams don't do the players' favors anyways. But there's always this idea that the Dames, the Giannis's of the world, they're a little bit different. It's a different situation. No, these guys really are loyal. I think the way Dame handled that, we can kind of put that to bed now. Every player, ultimately, they're in it for their own self-interest, and every team, fair, you know, also to say that they should also be looking out for the best return. I think with the Bucks, the same thing, where Giannis, in a little different way, right, he put the screws on the team that, look, I'm not going to stay here unless you can put the team around me. And, you know, for all the talk about Giannis used to, to hate on team-up culture, why do you need to team up with other stars you should just beat the best not you know join the best look drew holiday great player won him a title not good enough and they went and got dame so i like the fact that this kind of levels the entire nba it's there's no white knight in shining armor that's not Giannis. that's not dame this is the reality of the business and i'm just glad that that's put to bed yeah Two what are your thoughts on that, that though yeah. because i i think this is this is great for the league in the sense that Look, this is the reality. Let's just embrace it and not act like these guys are doing any more than they really are. Yeah, I, I've, look, I'm not trying to be anti-player pro owner, but at the same time, it feels so tone deaf to be like, you know what, Dame should be sent wherever he demand he asked for because he gave you guys all these years. It's like, what the fuck? Are, this guy took every last dollar Portland put in front of him, which is totally fine and well within his right. He literally just signed a two-year, $121 million extension. Think about $60 million a year, average annual value, that was going to take him up to his, I think, age 36 or 37 season. He had four years left on his deal. You don't get to dictate terms. Like, I'm so happy that it went the way it went, where they, they didn't screw him over, right? They're going to do right by him. They sent him to a freaking title contender that's probably got the second best odds in the league right now after Boston or maybe, you know, right there with Denver. And he gets to play for real meaningful uh, basketball, which is really what he wants. The market, the Miami stuff, that's not that's not relevant, right? Like Miami would have obviously been amazing with him as well. It's not like that was just for a city play, right? That was a team play as well. But I like that they took what they deemed to be the best offer. Uh, by the way, I totally forgot DeAndre Ayton went to the Portland <laughs> yeah. Blazers. That was sort of a fairly big part of that deal. And so I do like that they took control back, but at the same time, they did it in a way that doesn't have any blowback on Portland as a franchise because they got him to a contender. And it didn't sound like he had any issues with it either. From the moment the trade broke, he was really excited. He obviously talked about it with Giannis and the team. I do think that, the idea of demanding a trade with four years left still doesn't sit right with me. Like I know they probably, it made sense for them organizationally to move on with the new youth movement with Scoot and Shaden Sharp and uh, Simons and all those guys. But I just like, I don't understand. Like we basically have reached a point where free agency doesn't exist and it's all entirely driven by the contracts you sign uh, just to get money, get leverage. And then you do whatever you want. Like Durant last year demanded a trade. He had four years left, right? He, didn't get it in the offseason, then he did get it six months later. We've seen it now. Harden has done it on multiple occasions. Um, you know, Ben Simmons did it when he had four years left in Philly. So that part just I just can't get over it. And then quickly on Giannis, like it's interesting. He put pressure on him, put the screws on him, as you mentioned, two years ago, or I guess now it's three years ago with the Drew trade. That yeah. triggered that trade back then with New Orleans and they won a title. So I think he looks at it like I'm happy to stay, but I'm never going to. He that's more of the LeBron playbook a little bit, where it's like I'll play here, but I won't let you guys get comfortable. 
Now yeah. he has stayed longer than uh, LeBron did in any stint, but it's similar in that like I don't think he was ever going to demand out, but he's not going to let them rest on the Loris because he's just too good. By the way, that's a big thing we don't talk about. Dame is not good enough to to sort of go all in because if they traded the number three pick for Jalen Brown or for Pascal Siakam, that's not title worthy. With Giannis as your lead guy, you are good enough where one or two moves keeps you true title contention every year. Yep. 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 So that all aside, I think from a Milwaukee standpoint, look, they had, I think they had to make a move like this. Um, you have an aging roster, an expensive roster, and you, with the, with the uncertainty of Giannis's future, you had to make a big drastic swing. And I think the, the best asset they really had is Drew Holiday. You flip it in for Dame. And I don't care about the financial impact of Dame's contract and what they're going to have to do in a couple of years. That doesn't matter because you're not even guaranteed Giannis beyond that. So I think this is the best yeah. kind of big swing they can take. Give them one last serious shot. And it also shows Giannis, you know, when it comes to that next contract. Hey, look, we did it with Drew. Like you said, we did it with Dame. We will continue to put the best team around you, right? We'll find a way. So you're also giving yourself the best shot at him in the future. So I think from uh, the price they paid, from the the kind of move just in a vacuum, it's tough to lose Drew. He was a key part of that fran- like that title run. Um, key part of their offense, especially when it gets down to the postseason, they're actually pretty reliant on him in late game situations. Um, Middleton is is slowed down a bit. Giannis still can't always be relied on for what you know half court shot creation. But I think the fact that they have given themselves Dame, and we can talk about the basketball fit, but just from a big picture, this is the swing they needed to make. And I actually think it puts them in the driver's seat. I still think they're the favorite over Boston, despite Boston getting holiday wow. now on top of KP. But so I guess I liked I I was with this move as putting them ahead of Boston. Until Boston got Drew, and we can get into that here in a second. But the thing about the thing about um, this roster that um, that I I just have pause on is, and I think about the bigger team building approach. To your point, this is certainly something that has kept Giannis happier than I think if they just stood pat. Uh, because whatever human nature is, that at least if we're changing and trying things, even if you end with the same result, you have the view that we are at least attempting to get better. Um, versus like hey we're gonna bring back drew middleton brooke and you and we're gonna see what happens and if nothing's different then um you know then then you know we're not gonna have be to blame he, that's not the way it's gonna work he'll blame them right the other interesting thing that we talk, didn't, haven't talked about is that it's a first year head coach which is a lot of pressure mm-hmm. especially post this trade now i don't know if people realize Giannis handpicked uh adrian griffin like this is his guy and so this is not like a the Bucks wanted to take a shot with a young stud like the Jazz did with Will Hardy or something. No, like he may be a young stud, but this was signed off on and specifically picked by Giannis. The thing that I think, though, team building wise, like you didn't get any younger. Um, I think you traded the same age for the same age virtually, maybe 32 for 33 or 33 for 34, something like that. And you are now still reliant heavily on an aging core. Middleton's in his 30s. He's 31, 32. Brooke Lopez is 35. Giannis is now entering his late 20s. There's no one else in the core that is within three, four years of him. 
And if there's any drop-off, we already saw it a little bit from Middleton last year. What if we see it from Dame this year? Like, there's no more outs, especially with Dame's contract. That's what I think is the most fascinating part of this. Again, it's the right gamble to make, but it's such a big gamble because you've locked yourself into a much bigger, much more detrimental contract if Dame can't hold up over the next at least two, two to three years to allow Giannis to sign the extension comfortably. Yeah, no, it, it is a big risk. I just think that they have to optimize for the short-term window. And look, they gave pick swaps. And they gave it big. <clears throat> Their future's not looking great. Uh, but I think if you're Milwaukee, there was no other op. There's no easy way to get younger, right? Your core, like you said, you've got four guys all in their 30s or three guys. They were not going to get younger overnight. Um, right. And Drew Holiday is a valuable trade asset, right? You could say, hey, maybe they could have shopped him to get a different kind of player. But I don't know what deal realistically they, they could have gotten. You certainly um, would not have been able to get a star back. No. You yeah, could have yeah, gotten depth, not. but that's not going to help. Like you could have gotten like the only star, quote unquote, would have been like a James Harden type. And I'm not sure that's the right move in Milwaukee. Yeah. Um, and and I think, look, offensively, what Dame is going to bring for them. Uh, I, I think people forget how good he was last year because of it was a weird season. Yeah. He, according to a lot of advanced offensive metrics, I think like BPM, Raptor, I was looking at it. He was either first or second, uh, and if he was second, it was to Jokic last year. Yeah, he was really good offensively. He's so it, yes, he is getting older; it's dropping off a little bit. I still think he's that he can play the the Dame thirty point per game type of player. I don't think that's gone yet. Um, and like I said, Milwaukee's offense really would stagnate in the playoffs. Would would stat you know and. Drew, uh, Drew Holiday is good. Uh, he was good offensively, especially in the postseason. He's done his share on the offensive end, but he can't help with some of that spacing and some of that gumming up that happens to their offense in in the half court because he he's not a, a deep shooter. Huh? Not only can he not help it, he contributes to it. He he's contributes part to of the it, reason yeah. reason it happens. And I, I just think the spacing Dame is going to give them, uh, the fact that he can shoot from four or five feet behind the three-point line, um, the, the, the one concern defensively, I, I actually, you know, everyone keeps saying, oh, well, it doesn't matter. They funnel everyone into Giannis and Brooke Lopez, you know, they're a team that gives up a lot of threes. Anyway, Dame's perimeter defense is not that big of a deal, but I still think in the playoffs, you need that defender kind of at the guard spot who can switch easily. You know, Drew can switch onto bigger players. He's got versatility. I think that's going to hurt them a lot. And you know, Giannis is so good that they'll find ways around it. But but I don't. I think some people are dismissing the defensive concerns as if you know because they've got the twin towers kind of patrolling the no, paint. It's, it's yeah, it's massive. But I think it's a valid concern. So that's the only pause I have. But other than that, you know this this is a team that should really benefit. I think offensively just from from Dame's presence. Yeah, so, so so coming to your first point about Drew Holiday, offensively, this is what the strange thing is for me when I look at his three seasons in Milwaukee, right? During the regular season of the three seasons, he shot 39%, 41%, and 38%. Those are very, very good numbers. Um, anytime you're around that hot upper 30s, low 40s, that's like extremely uh, productive, efficient, etc. In those same years, here's his playoff three-point percentage. The year they won the title, he shot 30%. The next year, he shot 32%. 
And this last year, he shot 29%. So you're looking at it like Drew, the regular season player, has been phenomenal on both ends. Offensively, you know, distributing. He averaged a career high, seven assists, last, seven and a half assists last year, or second, second highest in his career. And like, he he really and then Milwaukee has not necessarily had a ton of trouble. They're not a great offense, but they've always been able to make it along with how good they are defensively. But the playoffs, it's fallen apart. Last year they didn't have Giannis for half the series, but again, Drew has done this even in the years they won. I think Dame is you know everyone's talking about the Dame Giannis pick and roll. It's going to be unguardable, and I don't see a reason why it shouldn't be. Um, now you could argue is Dame as a smaller guy going to get hounded like you think about Boston and all the length that they can throw. You think about even a team like Philly, they got Maxi, they got McDaniels, they got, you know, some guys that they can put out there. Miami, of course, right? They could put Jimmy Butler on them. Uh, you know, some of those guys, even Kyle Lowry, who, who he gives up size to. I don't think it's going to matter a ton because I think Giannis is going to just be, Giannis is like the most devastating role man in the league, right? He's the most overqualified role man maybe ever. So when you have that on the other side of the pick and roll, you can't just double down on Dame because the second he finds Giannis, it's four on three and it's good night, right? So they're not going to want to put Milwaukee in those sort of advantageous situations a lot. To me, the defensive point is huge. I think two reasons, right? One is Giannis has not been proven to be a good perimeter defender. He's never really done it well. Um, There's a lot of talk of like, is he asked to, is he not? But he's just never done it. And there's probably a reason for that. Two is you look at Middleton's age. You look at Jay Crowder's age. You got Malik Beasley, who's going to not play enough to to really move the needle. Like you lost Javon Carter, probably your second best perimeter defender to to Chicago. So where are you getting any stops at the top of the uh, uh, you know at the point of the attack? I don't know. I think it's going to be a big problem. Dame has routinely died on screens his whole career. He puts in even less effort than a guy like Kyrie. I think um, certainly less than a guy like Steph. And I don't know if that's because bad habits develop, not playing meaningful basketball these last few years, and he can lock in, but he's also small and old. So that that will never change, right? I think it's going to be a big problem. And I actually think it's not just about the Drew to Dame change at point guard. It's that Drew guarded the bigger wings. He guarded the Jalen Browns. Yep. He guarded the James Hardens, the you know Paul Georges, whoever. He could, he could credibly do that. I don't see Middleton having that foot speed anymore, that having that physicality. So that's my bigger question. Who's guarding these wings that they no longer really have an answer for? A guy like Trey Young, he's going to cook everyone. So I'm not as worried about him. I'm actually more worried about the the guy, you know, the guys Drew could guard up on. Yeah, I think everything a lot is going to hinge on Middleton more so weirdly enough um than before. Uh because defensively now you're relying on him much more to guard those wings. Like I think it's it's a fair point. I, but you know, at the end of the day, like sometimes you just got to look at these things. That you can break it down all you want, X's nose, but it's as simple as you're having one of the most dynamic offensive players we've seen in the last decade playing alongside Giannis, and he's never played with a player like that. He just Dude, never guy, has. So Dame is. I don't know. If people realize you mentioned his season last year. He averaged thirty-two a game on sixty-five percent true shooting percentage, like both career highs like that's wild he only played 58 games but he man scored 70 in a game last year and it's like i I know he was good but i forgot about it just because of all how bad portland was he got injured right all the things swirling around that but 
yeah, last year was really good. And you know when we saw him in the uh, was it the Olympics? Um, yeah, twenty twenty one Tokyo. Where he he really struggled, and to me, that's when I was like, oh, is this the beginning of the descent for or you know the decline of Dame? But clearly, last year showed he still has it, and I think. Um, and he, look, he's not going to be asked to do as much on this team. I think that that'll make a big difference. In the last several years in Portland, he's been a one-man show, especially after CJ McCollum left. Um, he's been the only show in town. So, and that game shot creation yeah. is going to be awesome to watch, right? Like him and Middleton yeah. both both can you know it's almost like they have the perfect combined three-level score between Middleton, Giannis, and and Dame. Yeah, where they can really kill you from all parts of the court. And you still have Brooke, who, by the way, had like a close to DPOI season last year and efficient scoring. Still got Bobby Portis. Um, So they have talent. Pat Connaughton's a good role player. They they obviously have talent. I think they're going to be amazing this year. Um, But there's a couple interesting, like really big picture questions that I think we're going to actually see pretty early how they play out. Yep. Um, okay, so that brings us to the next part of this like multi-team transaction and where I think you and I sound like we have a little bit of a different opinion. So I had going into pre-Dame trade, I had Boston ahead of Milwaukee in my like sort of mental power rankings. As soon as the Dame trade got announced, that got flipped. And when I found out Drew was actually going to Boston, it flipped back. That was really a worst case scenario for for Miami, sorry for Milwaukee. Even worse than if Drew went to like a Miami, for example, or a Philly, just because I I do think, especially Malcolm Brogdon, who's oft injured and failed his physical on the Clippers trade. So I'm not sure how valuable he is as a piece. Robert Williams injured a lot as well, and then picks out in the future. It doesn't matter for this season. I just thought that was really good value um, in terms of a trade for Boston. I think it makes sense for, for Portland, but putting them aside, I just thought, like, you lose Marcus Smart, you just replace him with a better version of Marcus Smart, and then you still get Persingas and all the offensive versatility he brings. So I know there's a lot of injury questions, depth, et cetera, but you have your two best players who play all the time, right, Tatum and, and Jalen Brown, and you have a third in Drew who plays all the time. So I think they're going to have such a safe floor with those guys. I really expect them to be phenomenal and probably pushing 60 plus wins this year. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. They amazing, amazing deal for them. And with all the concerns and questions with the KP, like when they made that move for KP, right. It, there are a lot of questions, you know, can you rely on it? And and then when you lost smart, it's like, okay, this team is really living kind of on, on the edge right now. And you lost Grant Williams, right? And you lost Grant Williams. Um, Drew Holiday shores up so many of those defensive concerns. He's an adult on offense. I mean, I think that's the biggest thing. Like, he's very similar to Smart, but I still think that he's just much more savvy, knows how to handle those late game situations. Sure, his shooting is also comes and goes, but he's the kind of player that I think will fit really, really well with Tatum and, and Brown. Mm-hmm. And I think, I mean, look, Porzingis, what we saw that first preseason game itself, like his full his versatility, scoring versatility was on full display. Um, pick and roll, pick and pop, shooting threes. He was really good, as you know, in Washington last year. And it seems like it'll carry over in, in Boston. I think the only reason I'm still picking Milwaukee over them, I think on paper, the Celtics are better. The depth is is really a big question mark because 
Al Horford is how much longer can you keep relying yeah, on? He Al was Horford? in the 07 draft as a four year senior. Yeah. So he's he's up there in age. You've lost Robert Williams. You've lost Grant Williams, who's who also can guard some bigger bodies. Including and so now guy, you're relying on KP. Huh? I was gonna say, including a guy in Milwaukee who's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> so you you've you've got KP now, and you've got Horford. So two guys who one is aging and one whose health has never been reliable. So I just think that is a really big gamble that they're, they're going to have to take. Um, but when it all is healthy, when it's all working, I think this team is going to be hard to beat. So, Yeah, I mean, look, depth is such a big issue. But like I said, I think there's a really big benefit when the, the, the injury concerns are not to your top three players. Um, like Brown, Tatum, and Drew are all – like Ironman. And I say this knocking on wood. I hope nothing happens to him. No, that no extended absences. But to me, it's different when that situation versus like a Phoenix where you're looking at a Durant, you're looking at a Beal and a Booker who all get hurt, right? We're not talking about those guys. We're talking about the next group. And yeah, Horford and Porzingis could each miss 20, 30, 40 games and it would not be odd in any way, right? But you'd look at the three I mentioned plus Derek White, who we haven't talked about like those guys are going to be out there every night. You're going to have weird nights where you're counting on Luke Cornett and uh, Sam Hauser for sure. That's going to be odd. Uh, they they signed actually the Lakers guy. What was his name? Um, Wenyan Gabriel. Wait, oh my God, the former yeah, king so as well. They're counting on him to be out there. So it's going to be weird, but when healthy, and I think they have to load manage those dudes all year. Um, Porzingis and Horford specifically. Like, there's a version of this that makes a lot of sense. And, hey, who knows? Maybe there's a free agent guy, a bio guy, whoever they can go get to, to sort of add to the nucleus here. They're just going to be so much more fun to watch on offense. Yeah. Because Boston, they, man, when that offense mucks up, it unless Tatum is going or Brown's going, it's so hard to watch. But I think with, with KP, with Holiday, I I love what this, this offense is going to look like. So – Great move for them. And this is the kind of like, and we've always talked about it, right? This team was getting stagnant. Um, that's why I did like the KP move earlier this offseason, just because they needed to shake things up. Mm-hmm. These are all guys who've been playing way too long with each other that I, I don't feel like, you know, I mean, it's been reported, right? Smart, Brown, there's a little bit of tension there. I think this is enough of a remake of the roster while keeping kind of the key elements intact that will really benefit them. Uh, I think this season. So yeah, all the yeah. right moves. I don't care what they gave up. This is the kind of move that they needed to, to, to keep up with Milwaukee. Yeah. So, I mean, Miami's probably sitting there being like, what the fuck? Like they thought they were getting Dame. Maybe that means they didn't pursue Beal. Maybe they didn't want him anyway, but uh, they certainly, we're, we're kind of expecting Dame to be a, to, to be a member of the team. They let Vincent go. They let Struce go. Again, replaceable guys, but still starters on a team that made the finals. I just expect them to be good and Haywood Highsmith to suddenly turn into like the next coming just because that's how it goes with Spolstra and Pat Riley. But if you're Miami, you're looking at this like, wait a second. Uh, and I want to get to Philly here and all the hard shenanigans, but just 
Miami just went to the final, so they were better. They beat both of these teams in the playoffs. Then they just see them go get Dame Lillard, Drew Holiday, Kristaps Porzingis, all these dudes. So what do you think their perspective is and like sort of how you how you stack them up now against the 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 rest of the East Elite? It's frustrating, but I think for them nothing really changes in that this has been the same position they were the last couple of years. Granted, the Celtics have more firepower now. The Bucks have more firepower, but they've always been in that underdog role. Um, I think Hero being healthy, uh, they need him to kind of play a pivotal role. Hawkes is a rookie. They got Hawkes because he's ready to contribute right away. He's an older player. Um, you know, there's no real upside beyond you know what he can already start to do for you. So they'll be okay. They'll be okay. They'll be in the same situation they're always in where the seeding doesn't matter. They're going to play these series tough. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you, they need a lot more breaks now because it's. I don't think they're going to have the same kind of path that they've had these last couple of years. They're not getting by both Boston and Milwaukee. I just don't see it. Yeah, I mean, look, they're going to be good because they're always good. But to me, at some point, the infrastructure will only take you so far. Like... I could like let's say it was a team like Cleveland in the playoffs. Like I see them beating Cleveland, even though I think Cleveland probably has more aggregate talent just because the Moxie, the veteran like experience, all those kinds of things. But when you go up against a Boston and Milwaukee who have that same level of experience and way more talent, that's when I think they're going to be drawn dead a little bit. Yeah. Um, but again, they have the biggest ace in the hole, which is Eric Spolstra versus Joe Mazzulla, who had plenty of challenges last year and now adrian, adrian griffin, griffin who's never been in this position before and is going to be facing immense pressure all year to, to continue winning um yeah okay anything else on dame and drew trades that we have not already touched on i mean i, I just want to applaud the blazers for yeah oh yeah that's a good point a, yes. an amazing Let's talk haul. about their return okay so it's deandre ayton it was Robert Williams. It's Malcolm Brogdon. It's another one or two, I think, guys that I've never heard of but are yeah. technically prospects. And then a slew of, I think it's three picks and a couple swaps or two picks and a couple swaps. Yeah. All right. So where do you grade that? How do you think about that versus kind of all the Miami rumors that had been floating? A, a plus. A plus. Like, because you are you have no leverage when Dame and his agent have come out and said they're only going to go one team. Um, Dame's contract, his age, they, you're not getting great assets for, for a trade, Dame trade. The fact that they're able to land both Drew Holiday and Aiden, right? Forget about the picks for a moment. Aiden being a young prospect, um, still young prospect who honestly just needs a change of scenery. Uh, and so there's a lot to like with what he could bring. And Drew Holiday, which you know you're going to flip. And you knew that they're going to flip him for a nice return, which they did. Robert Williams, Brogdon, two first-round picks. That was netted just for Drew Holiday. I think that was leaps and bounds better than Miami's package. And any any realistic package I heard even being suggested. Um, and so now when, if you're, you're the Portland, you've got also Brogdon, who you can flip. Robert Williams, who you can choose to keep, or he's a valuable asset. So there's just a lot of flexibility. Um, they can go a lot of different ways with this rebuild now, or they don't even have to rebuild if they think that they can be competitive. In the West, it's going to be hard, but they can't be not enough good players that 
if they want, they can make some moves. But yeah, I they're going to be at yeah, the they can make moves to the thirteenth seed. Um, no, look, I like the package quite a bit. I want to actually. I said let's wrap up after the Blazers. I need a second to dump on Phoenix um, as part of this. Okay. Um, I don't know what you thought on their involvement here, but I'd be curious to to, to listen to that. I thought Portland did great. Um, very much unclear what Miami was offering, but the reports kind of towards the end was that they were not putting it all on the table because they just thought they were the only you know game in town, and that turned out not to be the case. So I I would still rather take this offer. Like Aiden to me is a better prospect than Tyler Hero. Um, I'm not yep. sure I like those Miami picks all that much when they're always good versus like the uncertainty of what's going to happen to Giannis and like who knows in Boston. They're always good as well, but like maybe Tatum has a change of heart down the line. So I think that there's value in that. And I think, you know, you take a couple flyers, Robert Williams, like to your point, maybe they won't be good, but they'll certainly be like a functional basketball team, right? They're not just like a spare part auto shop right now. They have like a real lineup that makes sense and Aiton can come into his own a little bit. We'll see if he's built of anything real or if he's just kind of wither away. I, I was pretty impressed with what he did for the Bahamas national team um, this summer and just playing with a little bit more intensity, ferocity, like when he was the number one guy. He may not be the kind of most shots on the team t- player for Portland, but you know maybe that's Jeremy Grant, maybe that's Scoot, who knows. But he'll certainly be like way more of a focal point offensively than he was in Phoenix, and he was going to be this coming season. So I like the move. They can still flip Brogdon if they want. I'm sure there's a team that could give up either protected first if they know he's healthy, maybe a young player to second, whatever. And I think it sets them up nicely. And again, they didn't they did no collateral damage, even though I think that's a little fake in terms of like what players and agents think about a team if you don't take care of the star. No collateral damage from sending Dame to a, a you know a, a contender, a top flight contender. Yeah, they could not have come out of the situation looking any better. They sent him to a good location. They did not get strong armed and sent him to Miami, and they they got all the kind of the the, the haul you'd want to see from giving up on on Dame. Now, here's the thing, you know, you mentioned earlier about how all these guys are requesting trades. A year, you know, they signed the extension, the max, whatever they, and they request to trade a year in, two years in. Um, and the idea is, like, hey, get the money, then figure the rest out. Right. All these teams recently, though, have gotten nice hauls for these superstar trades. Yeah. yeah. Right. You think about Brooklyn with Durant. You think about when Harden was moved. Um, when, so as much as I'd love, and this would never happen. I'd love for the next CBA to be like, hey, with these super maxes, first two years can't be traded. It's not going to happen because, first of all, the Players Association would not go for that. But also, I think these teams, it's not even in their, it's not that detrimental to them. They always end up yeah. pretty good with some pretty good assets. So, I don't Dude, know. Dude, it's, really it's a really good point. Uh, didn't think of it that way. It's actually almost advantageous for the team because they can have get the most in return when you know their guaranteed contract, right? Yep. Yeah, like, yeah, you're locked in. And the thing is, like, let's say Durant went to sort of maybe his top destination was Phoenix. Let's say he gets traded to, I'm just making it up, like Atlanta. And it's him and it's Trey and it's DeJounte or whatever. He's not going to then demand out again right like it's almost like there's some there's some inertia in him or whatever like there's some inertia in him be like All right, unless you're hard but yeah right unless you're hardened, right true 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 
it's actually quite interesting um, because you can get the most back for them. And if they're demanding a trade, clearly something is wrong with what you were trying to do. And so it's not working anyway. So you're not out of jail totally, free. You're not totally like upset about moving on and starting something new. Now, where it gets interesting is like, let's say Boston doesn't make it all the way and Jalen Brown demands out. That's the weird one because they're still a contender. They're still the top flight contender, but let's say they get knocked out round two and he's out because he's like, I want to be the number one guy. That's where it gets interesting because they wouldn't want to move him necessarily. They would just want him to be happy in his role. And so if he's not, then that's where it can upend the timeline. Um, But I was thinking about the Brooklyn thing, man, like the whole saga like complete catastrophe of like signing those guys and blowing up. None of it would have mattered in terms of long-term repercussions. If they just didn't make the hardened part of that trade, because they signed those other two guys from cap space. The real issue was the assets at the door to get hardened who played like a year. If they had just never done that kept Lavert and Allen and whatever, they would have had like similar playoff success, right? Winning one round in three years. And then you trade Kyrie and KD with this hall of assets and just wipe your hands clean and move on. So that's the really interesting thing. It wasn't Kyrie and KD that screwed it up. It was a hard end deal with Houston. Yep. But, you know, you could also look flip side. When they were healthy and everything was gelling with Harden, that was when they looked completely unstoppable. Yeah. Um, that's what really completed their team. Now, granted, we know it didn't work out. Harden as a personality is... We know you can't rely on them, but but overall, man, I, I think they came out well. And speaking of Harden, do you want to talk about Philly now after yeah, like, where they stand after all this? Yeah, I don't I mean, I don't know what's gonna happen. He showed up apparently at camp after all the hullabaloo this offseason about Darren Moyer's a liar. I'll never play for an organization where he's a part of, blah, blah, blah. Who knows what was promised, what was said. I kind of sympathize with him or empathize with him if he was promised a max or whatever and they just decided to pull it because it was the better move once they saw him play but that's you know happens all the time i'm sure but i could see it not sitting well the more interesting question to me is like at this point in the year and with the style of play he brings where you basically have to change your entire offensive identity if you trade for james harden in a way that's not even remotely close to a guy like Drew Holiday. That's why when Drew Holiday was on the market, I thought of 10 teams right away that would be like perfect destinations for him. I can't even think of one for Harden. And that includes the Clippers, which I don't even think really makes a lot of sense next to Russell Westbrook. So I'm fascinated to see this because the only place it really makes sense for him to play is Philly stylistically and just given the personnel they have around him. And if he's not going to, you know, give it his all, or if he's going to try to quit on people or whatever else it is, like, I'm sort of at a loss for how this is going to be solved. That's I. That's the the main issue. The only team that you can see it happening is the Clippers because, well, not only because he wants to be there, and like you said, the fit is not even better with with him there. But it is a team that's desperate and willing. We know they're willing to take gambles on stars and just mm-hmm. add star power and hopefully figure they can figure it out. But outside of that, there there's not much interest or appetite i think from any team to go after Harden. so his best move is just to suit up for philly but this is the problem right the moment you make that strong of a statement you go that hard against daryl morey um <laughs> you kind of backed yourself into a corner because now what do you do uh yeah you suit up and play but then all those kind of statements ring hollow now so 
and he looked good in practice, but lest we forget, do you remember the first game with Houston after the trade request? Or trade he killed it. He had 44 and 17. Yeah. Very next game, he starts throwing passes like backcourt and like throwing it out of bounds and like kicking random fans on the uh, sideline. Like just com- because he was like, look, all you need to know is that I can still do it. But guess what? This was not four years ago. He does not have nearly the same leverage. Um, and, you know, Kevin Garnett had that quote in that interview. He's like, you only get so many wiggles in this league. Yeah. You know, you can wiggle once, wiggle twice. You keep wiggling, though, you're going to be out. And that's yeah. that's the reality. Like, who's going to put up with this shit anymore? No one. And um, why would you? But if you're Philly, too, it's like. <sighs> if you're Philly, you have no choice. But here's the interesting thing, right? They won two games versus Boston single-handedly because of his no. heroics. One game, game one without Embiid, and then I think it was game four. Embiid sucked pretty much that whole series. Harden sucked every other game, both round one and round two, except for those two games. And that is the enigma of James Harden come playoff time. So you would think your MVP could bring you home in either game six or game seven, and I think that's far more an indictment on Embiid than anything else. But it's also very risky to say, okay, this is the guy that we're hinging our future to, and we have no idea what version of him is going to show up when the chips are on the table. Very risky. But the, what are the alternatives right now? I think for for Philly, there's nothing. It's nothing. You kind of are put in a situation where you have to run it back. You're not going to get a great haul for Harden, no matter what. So that's... Um, and I don't know who else they can move on that roster. Like Tobias Harris isn't getting you anything. Um, Maxi, they don't want to part with. Maxi's right. got value, but realistically still won't give you enough. Um, the dream scenario for heart for the Sixers because I don't I mean it's October 10th what kind of meaningful deal can you create at this point that's going to make sense even the Clippers deal brings them back like Norm Powell and Terrence Mann I don't see that that being a better team than the one they have right now um what they really want to do I think is have Harden realize that he has to play well right because he's not extension eligible because he's on his player option right now Yep. So you actually can't be extended anywhere, meaning he's going to go in under, unrestricted free agency. He has to be on his best behavior this year, or he's going to get the Westbrook kind of salary reduction from $47 million to $3 million. That's what Westbrook's at this year. Harden's going to be looking at something similar if he doesn't shape up. And he already passed a $150 million extension in Brooklyn, said no to that. Now, you know, how much more money is he willing to lose? They're just going to let him walk in the offseason. So keep this year, hopefully play well, maybe play for a title. You get Maxi and Bede, and you have one, if not maybe two max slots this coming summer. That's the dream. But many, many things can disrupt and, and yeah. ruin that plan. <laughs> There's so many things that could happen along the way. Oh. But, yeah. it's What else do we got? Preseason reactions, it's early, but one thing I absolutely love about the NBA preseason is like most guys play. Yeah. Um, it's not like the NFL where you won't see, you know, I don't know, Joe Burrow, you won't see Patrick Mahomes or whatever it is. You're going to see these guys pretty much every night for at least and a reasonable amount of time, like 15 to 20 minutes. Uh, we got to start with Chet versus Wemby, though. Uh, unbelievable. Chet had 21 and 9. Wemby had 20 on 8 of 13 shooting. This is both of their first ever like NBA action, right? Check out her last summer, missed the whole year. 
they're the two favorites for rookie of the year. Wemby is, you know, generational prospect that everyone's like on bated breath trying to watch this guy. What were your thoughts? I mean, these two seem like aliens, especially Wemby, just his body. I've never seen anyone that tall move like that. But what were your reactions and maybe what are you looking for from him as a rookie? It was so much fun just to see them go back and forth because we haven't had, um, I mean, these guys are unicorns, right? We use that term in the past, but who's the, like Durant was very unique in that super lanky. We had never seen a player that big move like that. And this is taking it to another level <laughs> with the way these guys play. I mean, they're, I'm not saying they're as good as Durant was, but in terms of just the unique, of them on the court obviously when they're playing in you know the french league in college they stand out but the fact is even amongst nba players they stood out their size stood out um the versatility was on full display right Wemby, he was impressive across many different aspects right he had that layup that put back after the missed free throw but i think what was most impressive was the ability to recover when a guy blows by him and then get the block he did that mm-hmm. once, maybe twice. And it's it's usually with these big men, right? Sometimes you teams try to get the big men on an island out on the perimeter because you can blow by him, get to the rim. I mean, even Embiid, as good as a defender as he's been, he's been put in those situations where it's hard. It's hard to stay with a guard or match that quickness. But with Wemby, that you could get you could beat him by several steps and he can still recover and defend. Mm-hmm. that shot so i think that was most impressive and and for me chet just him running the fast break after getting a rebound running it going end to end just showing that kind of nimbleness on handling the ball that was exciting and and i think um yeah man i i did not i actually thought when i mean this is preseason i'm not going to overreact but he was way more impressive than i expected especially after seeing him in summer league but that's kind of why I made the point at the top, which is like these are real guys that they're playing against, right? Like they're yeah. playing against each other's starters. So they're not like, you know, oh, let's beat up. I mean, the Wizards beat uh, some team from Australia or from like Mercury or something tonight by like 60 points. But like these guys are playing. I mean, they're all rusty or whatever, but it's not like they're, they're, they're not the guys. So I think you can actually have some more meaningful takeaways from NBA preseason, certainly than NFL. The the agreed with everything you said. I think the interesting thing that's going to be fascinating to watch both this season as well as their careers unfold is like Wemby is going to start at the four, uh, is what it sounds like. He is not going to play center. They want to like restrict the pounding he takes. So I guess they're going to play him next to like a Zach Collins with uh, maybe Sohan coming off the bench. You have Vassell. Vassell, by the way, was maybe the most nondescript player of all time to have ever received the contract, that, dude. <laughs> I had that guys, made no sense to me. I, I know he's a nice mine, player, but what are we my doing? God. I had friends of mine text me who are decent NBA fans being like, who the fuck <laughs> is Devin Vassell? I was like, uh, he's got a really nice, you know, off the bounce game. And I was like, dude, shut the fuck up. He's making how much money? Uh, I think that was like more than Jordan's like career earnings or something. Um, <laughs> so anyway, that was a dig- uh, digression. But, yeah, it's really interesting because Chet's probably going to start as a small ball five. Um, Similar frame, similar sizes. So it's actually going to be really fun to see how Chet does in that role versus how Wemby does as the four. 
both is going to come with their own challenges. Um, you know, one on one hand, you have to guard like Jokic and Embiid. On the other hand, you got to try to keep up with like these stretch fours who can, you know, be versatile, put the ball on the ground. But that's where Wemby's length and how much ground he can cover in just a couple steps is going to be, you know, super important. Yeah. And being at the four is a farce, man. It's like it's like the Anthony Davis thing. It's like these guys, you know that the best lineups are going to be with Wemby at the five. But I, they, I hope they get there. They will get there. Like it's just inevitable. Um, they can't keep starting him next to. Uh, I mean, I know that Tim Duncan back in the day they used to always have him next to a Nazi Muhammad or a yeah. you know, Russian Asterovich. But today's what's day, the guy I, that, what's the guy that LeBron dunked on? Oh, Tiago Splitter. Tiago Splitter. Yeah, but you can't do that anymore. Like the best lineups are going to involve him at the five. Um, but it it was just, dude. I just love that this is like an infusion of. It's not just really good talent because NBA is always getting good talent year after year. That's such a there's so much talent in the league right now. That's not a problem. It's just the uniqueness of their games. Um, mm-hmm. And you know we've had Giannis and Embiid. We've had these big men who have been really good, but this is like another level of of talent. And you just hope they stay healthy. That's the biggest thing. You hope those frames can. Yeah, it, it's a really good point. So if you look at who like the quote unquote top ten players in the league are, right? Just Giannis and Bead, Jokic, Steph, Luca, Tatum, Durant, Booker, Dame, SGA, LeBron, whatever. Those are a lot of different styles. Uh, like we haven't even really talked about SGA. Like he's totally different from those other guys, despite being a perimeter player. Durant's obviously an alien. Like Giannis is his own guy. Like. Every night you're going to be watching guys. I mean, there's a lot of like pick and roll, sh- spread pick and roll, all those kinds of things that will happen. But just on a one-on-one basis, there's a lot of different ways that dudes are hurting you, which is going to be the most fun part. Zion, right? Like that's a whole nother element. Like we haven't really talked Pelicans. Like, I, I, dude, I was looking at the box score because I was just sort of like, basically I was looking at box scores to see who was playing and who was sitting. Yeah. And the Pelicans game, I don't know if it was tonight or yesterday, it was like Z Williamson. I was like, I almost forgot that this guy <laughs> that was like healthy. Yeah, like I just fully expected him to not be playing, and he's he's playing, and so I guess he's back. Like I don't know. Yeah, I mean, even like the Clippers had Kawhi and Paul George playing. I was like, yeah, Kawhi's already logged two preseason, preseason game. games. Yeah, uh, uh, nuts. Meanwhile, we have not yet seen Dame and Giannis. Neither of them have played either of their games. So, but that one is like less. You know, you kind of know what it'll be. It'll be exciting to watch, but I, I like yeah. the preseason for seeing, like you said, right? This is now our first chance to see these rookies against actual NBA talent in the first glimpse of that. And um, there's some other rookies that have been playing that have uh, who some other other no- noteworthy performances, I, but I forgot who. My probably. brain is completely blanking on who the rookies are. Um, what's his name? The Thompsons were starting, I yes. think, for their respective teams. Oscar Thompson, I think he hit a, like the game tying three for the Pistons. Yeah, Jabari um, Smith, by the way, looks good. I think we're going to see a breakout season coming from him. He was Jabari awesome Smith in looks- summer league. He's finally started to play with like a real point guard in Fred VanVleet. I think he's going to be good this year. Key Keegan's got some some newfound hops and sprout, like, spring to his game. The Kings are just sitting there, man. Like. Every a lot of moves everywhere around them. They stayed mostly pat. Like I'm not quite interesting. Uh, I'm not worried at all. Um, Sasha Vizenkov, have you seen him? Has he done anything? 
Yeah, I mean, I'm practicing familiar like with 97 me. out of 100 threes or something. Yeah, so did Javaris Crittenton at one point, I think. So did Nick Stauskas in his backyard, which I yeah, thought was exactly. a surefire sign he was going to be a star. If you had to bet your life on it, do the Kings stay in the top six? If I had to bet my life, you can't ask it like that. Uh, right. If you had to bet uh, the amount of money that would make you your inside squirm a little bit. Uh, yeah, I say yeah, they stay in the top six. Yeah. Okay. That it's so hard. It's like, hard, are right? Kings, but th- are the Kings gonna be better than the Thunder this year? Yeah. Yeah, dude. The Thunder's still a year away. Are they gonna be better than the Grizzlies? Maybe not. This but, is this is the middle class that it's like just hard. I mean, it's hard to separate. I don't know the answer, but it's just really hard to separate like seven teams from one another. I just think the Kings have the fewest questions. Their questions are more. All the questions you ask about the Kings are everyone else is going to be better. But in terms of just the Kings themselves, continuity, um, moves around the edges. They're all young. They're only going to be better theoretically. You know, another year. Um. And I don't think they have all the questions. With Memphis, you have the jaw question. He's out for 25 games. With Clippers health, Lakers health, Dallas, the fit with Kyrie, like That's New Orleans, fair. Zion. There's no team except for Phoenix and Denver. And even Phoenix has questions, but they're so talent rich that And the Lakers probably, right? Or would you think would you put the Lakers in there? Lakers camp also are, are are health reliant, right? If you lose A D for half the season, they're done. Not done, but they're a six to eight seed they're not a top three top four seed don't take offense to this because last year i said there was times when fox looked like the best player of all time um if you remember but i think the no you said something about jordan you compared him to jordan i think yeah well i said there was times where i was like it's jordan and fox it's the only two guys (laughs) that matter in the league something like that but the thing that I worry about the Kings totally agree that they have the fewest questions and that in itself gives them a pretty safe floor. If you go full health and the world in which there's full health is obviously non-existent, but full health for every roster, 82 games played for everyone other than Ja. How do you stack the Kings? That's the question I, to me because I still, because in that scenario, I definitely put them behind new Orleans. I put them behind the Clippers. I put them behind the Lakers, Nuggets, Suns, Warriors. And so that to me is the question. And granted, you say, well, they're not going to stay healthy. Certainly, every team won't, but they have to. Six out of eight, whatever. Like, that's where it starts to get a little tricky. Sure. But I think it's not only the health piece, like, and even the Kings can get hurt, right? I, I think the, the, and they the didn't main last thing year, is that. By the way. Huh? And they did not last year. That was that was a big part of their. Yeah, but the, but the main thing is they're a. Uh, some teams are just built for the regular season. What I mean by that is their guys are all going to. None of them are going to load manage like that. They're the one team that's not going to load manage compared to every team in the West. Uh, So they're going to play night in and night out. Even the small injuries, they'll play through it like Sabonis did with his hand. Um, I just think there's there's less caution, right? With with the Lakers, you're going to take caution with AD. You're going to take caution with LeBron. You're going to take caution with Kawhi. You're going to take caution with Paul George. Shit, you'll take caution with Zion if something goes wrong. All of the like. That's why the it's not just the injuries. It's that any minor thing, these teams are going to play it safe. The Kings are just going balls out. <laughs> so I and all their guys are locked up. Here, that's the other great thing, right? Like everyone's kind of under contract. 
they can trade anyone really right barnes is on a relatively friendly deal um they can make moves during the season if need be so the but the west is is a bloodbath man and i think a bloodbath in the sense that even games against san antonio now portland uh none of those are gimmies so when your entire schedule is filled with just night after night these teams that are so talented mm-hmm. it's going to be hard it's no gimmies it's like playing an sec football schedule like every single night um you know even when you think about the cupcakes quote unquote houston's got better right San Antonio has Wemby. Maybe they they win some games here and there. Obviously, I don't think uh, I don't think Portland's going to be good, but you know they, there's talent on that team. Even Utah, which finished 11th yeah. last year, they go and add John Collins. They bring back pretty much everyone else. The year older for Markkinen and Kessler, and even in the East, like I think there's worse teams in the East. But I, I was reading this stat uh, today on the Hornets. The Hornets over under is 31 and a half. They have four of the five guys that played the most minutes on a team that two years ago won 43 games. And last year, LaMelo was out most of the year. Obviously, Miles Bridges didn't play. Gordon Hayward got hurt. You know, Cody Martin didn't play. And why are they going to be so much worse when their guys are back? You know, and you add a Brandon Miller, and you get an older PJ Washington. You get Mark Williams, who they like. I'm not saying Charlotte's going to be amazing and in the mix, but I'm just saying even a team like Charlotte, who I'm sure most people are thinking of as the doorstep, I don't think they're going to be that bad. Yeah. Um, That's a good point. Things will settle out, right? Like things will be wrong about guys or overrate guys or whatever. It'll all start to spread out. But to your point, maybe this is as clumped as it is really one to 15 as we've seen in a long time. And this is where the mid season tourney, I think is going to be interesting because In a small sample size, it's possible for one of these teams, I mean, not a Charlotte necessarily, but one of these middling teams to make a run, win it. Let's say New Orleans Orleans is like the eighth seed in the West, and Zion and Ingram just go crazy for a week. And, and And that's why I think it'll be fun. Now, you can also take it the other way and say that's why it'll mean nothing, because any team can win it. But, um, yeah, this is... I mean, just I'll, to bring I'll it back full this. circle. I will say this. Yeah. I don't think a team that wins the midseason tournament won't be a good team. Yeah, yeah, it'll be a good team. But my point is it could be it could be the Kings, for example. Would you be that surprised? And the Kings are never winning a title this year. Like, 0% chance. If the Kings won it, though, I wouldn't look at it like a farce, as I guess what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's some legitimacy to it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It'll be if a it team like, that's... Yeah, if it's like the Pacers that came out of nowhere and won it, that would be a little weird. Um, But, you know, the Pacers are going to probably be, for, again, another team that has a lot going for it right now that, that people are expecting to be in the playoff mix. Yeah. Um, I feel like you're going to take Indiana under. Why? <laughs> Just to be right about Halliburton? Yeah. Plus, there's a lot of hype in, in, in Indianapolis. There's so much hype. There's so much. Make our guy Shank happy. He would be happy. Then I'd be happy. Go see Hallie. Like, that would be fun. People talk about Buddy Heald now as if he's like a, I don't know. Pacer fans are defending Buddy Heald quite a bit. What I'm curious about, and we can end on Buddy Heald, I guess, is (laughs) why for a team that's trying to win, like, why are they trying to move him? 
He's not that good. That's the reality. They were like contract extension talks broke down, so they're going to look for a trade. I mean, he could be valuable in a lot of places. I would love to see him in Dallas. Yeah, I, I think they're better off trading him, getting value from him. I mean, you have to remember he's old, but he yields probably close to 30. I don't know, 29, 30 now. Um, so if, if he's not going to extend at a team-friendly rate, it doesn't make sense to kind of invest in him. You'd rather try to flip him to a contending team because he probably is worth something. So, um, yeah, yeah, man, that the, the league is super talented. I'm excited for the season. Uh, gonna be glued on league pass for sure. Yeah, um, it's gonna be a lot of fun. I just got, I just re-up league pass, so I'm ready to go. And uh, yeah, I think. We got the midseason tourney that's going to come up in like a month. It's not even midseason. Oh yeah, it starts. It's because what? Because it starts like right the first week in November. But when's the actual like finals and semifinals? Is it Christmas? I think in December. December. Okay. Because I think I think the Vegas. You know, I think it was like, oh, if you go to the finals, it would be in Vegas in December, I believe. You're you're right. You're right. Let me just look up. It's uh, December. Where are we at? December, end of December. Somewhere in December. Yeah. Good podcast content here. <laughs> um, but anyway. All right. So we're going to be back next week. We'll talk maybe big picture questions, kind of how we think about the East and West shaping up, and then follow that up, like we mentioned, with over-unders. Season is kicking off two weeks from tonight uh, on October 24th. So we're almost there. It's hard to believe that we're back at it. I kind of like it because um, the NFL is – leaving me a little, I don't know, little uh, unsatisfied this year. It feels like 25 out of 30 teams are trash. Um, and what I watch on a week-to-week basis doesn't really make a ton of sense. And aside from, you know, maybe Lions, Niners, Eagles, Chiefs, occasionally the Bills, Dolphins, like I don't know how many good teams there are. Like Dallas can be 3-1 and one and just absolutely get murdered um, on national TV. So – frustrating i don't feel like i'm loving the nfl this year i don't know what you think but you haven't been watching you've been freaking italy yeah no i I watched i watched the bucks game when i was uh oh yeah your bucks are three and one with baker mayfield yeah so i'm big test this week big test lions and they're wearing the creamsicles so you know know, they they can't lose in the creamsicles i did see Um, that no, I, I I feel the same way with the NFL. I, and I don't know if it's because of the, the teams or the fact that a lot of teams are trash. I just think as I get older, I'm getting a little bit more apathy towards the NFL um, mm-hmm. and fantasy for some reason. But with the NBA, I feel like it's that's not really happening. Um, so I don't know. Fantasy is my true connection to my college buddies. Like, I mean, we talk and hang out whatever but i don't live near any of them so it's really like everyone yeah. goes all in on on fantasy so i feel like that has kept the flame alive but i could see like if that dissipates for any reason i'm not gonna watch so monday night bronco oh, sorry not broncos raiders packers right no implications fanny fantasy wise for me didn't bet on it and i didn't watch and i didn't really even check the score until the end yeah and it was yeah kind yeah of that's... weirdly liberating I gotta say, I might need to see a self-help group, but that I can't, that I have to like go to those lengths to not be able to watch a football game. But it was nice. How's your FanDuel account doing? It's uh, 
been reloaded uh, more than once, and I'm sure <laughs> we'll have to reload when you get here. I, I actually put myself on a moratorium for like four weeks. It's I'm still on it. Uh, I remember, dude. I remember freaking. I was watching Sunday Night Football right before Dolphins uh, Pat, Patriots. This is week two. And Matt Matthew Barry is now on NBC, right? So he constantly gets yeah. up there. He's an idiot, but he constantly gets up there. He's like, I would take Ramondre Stevenson over rushing yards. He had like six stats that was like confident about why this dude would get over like 20. It wasn't even a big number. It was like 23 and a half rushing. Uh, sorry, not receiving yards. I'm like, all right, let's do it. So I hit it with a multi-unit bet. I'm like, I'm feeling great. So all I'm going to do tonight, ride it with Matt Barry. Game starts. Mac Jones is like throwing the ball backwards, throwing the ball into the stands. Doesn't even look at fucking Stevenson once until the last drive of the game. I think he finishes with like 13 yards on two catches. And wow. I almost put my fist through my TV and then deleted the app. And I'm still there right now. <laughs> so that's my story. That's why, that's why the live betting is so much fun. I know. Because the moment you start losing, you just chase your loss. I know it's not yeah. the right thing to do, but. What's better than just chasing and compounding losses? <laughs> so, That's why it's good. It's not. It's not uh, legal here. Uh, it'd be too easy. Yeah, I know. It's well. So they actually. I mean, not that this is uh, a, a place that I'm going to frequent, but part of what happens when you legalize gambling is they start building casinos everywhere, right? Because that's like a a big revenue source for the for the like general public. Let's call it. Um, yep. And they build one downtown in River North in Chicago, which is probably going to be seedy. And they have plans to build this massive complex along the river, just up north a little bit, like River West, kind of where that Chicago Tribune building is, if you if you remember. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I think it'll look cool, but I feel like it's not a good idea to be bringing casinos downtown into all these cities. Oh, like God, that's, yeah. Let's leave that to like Vegas and New Orleans. Yeah. I don't know, but you'll be there. You know you'll be there. Maybe if they have like a cool sports book or something. But the other thing is a lot of these casinos, they're just slots because that's what's generating the most money. Yeah, so it's, it's not, like it's tons not of slots. And then like, remember, have you been the one outside of Milwaukee? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like mostly all slots now. It's so frustrating. Yeah. So got to be like, uh, just like Vish and play a bunch of video poker. Yeah. I mean, could you imagine if they had a casino when we were at Booth? Like, after ending the night at freaking so far social, be, you just go so straight to the casino. Me a call and be like, "Hey, why have you upped your uh, loan balance?" <laughs> yeah, it'd be all bad. All right, that's it for us. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Thick and Thin Hoops. We're super excited to be back for year five, ready to go for another NBA season. Please follow us on social media. As always, reach out uh, with any questions, comments, ideas for the podcast, uh, and we will talk to you next week. Bye.